0: It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth, presented by Core Water.
1: Hey, welcome in, Stinkin' Truth Podcast, Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott the Huff, producing the show. I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Core Water bring this to you free of charge every single week, multiple times a week. That's Core Water. Hydrate with for more information. And I'm telling you what great water. You can find it anywhere water is sold, the one with the big blue cap. You see it all over the grocery stores, 7-11, you name it. That's Core Water. Hydrate with for more information. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm
0: good. You good? I'm I'm a little bit uh a little bit bummed out. You know, we're past the tax season and everything. Flummoxed. And and, and, and speaking for most people who ended up having to pay this uh-huh. year, I only uh-huh. wish I could have had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers accounting people
1: they working are, on my taxes. They are good. Do you they, know what they did? Yeah, I did. Were, I did re- read that story.
0: So I guess there was an oil spill? Something, yeah. In, in the in the Tampa area? Yeah. And, and whoa, how does so how it work out?
1: there's some type of, uh, you know, I read the story. and So basically, in a nutshell... So there's obviously some big lawsuit. And if you can prove during the time of the spill that your revenues went down considerably for a three-month period or whatever it was, and then the, the three-month period that coincides with that the year after proved that your revenues went back up 15%, there was some you know lawsuit money or free money out there. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, basically through clever accounting, um, showed that their profits were down considerably during this three-month period, and then the following year they were just they skyrocketed over five hundred percent. Well, when you looked into the counting of it, basically every year each club re- receives essentially a revenue television package, right? Revenue sharing from the television package. So, um, instead of putting it in when they normally put that in, they pushed it off for several months to show that. You know, our revenues were down, and now look at our revenues. We've gotten, you know, a 500% increase. Well, because they took the TV money during that time. So, you know, the, it was $19.5 million they were trying to get a free money, essentially saying, look how, you know, oh, we're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We, you know, we, we've got a license to print money because of our affiliation with the National Football League, but that's not enough. You know, it's not enough to make what— what were, what was the NFL a fourteen billion dollar a year industry last year? It's not that's just not enough for us. We're Tampa Bay. Let's see if we can get on some of this free lawsuit. I money. mean, is it really worth it? I mean, nineteen and a half million is nineteen
0: and a half million dollars. I get it, but right. is it worth the egg in your face and the the, the negative
1: press? On, honestly, how many people are you look? Are you? How many people are gonna like, like? At the end of the day, when the ball's kicked off, who cares? Is it gonna stop people from buying Tampa Bay Buccaneer tickets? Good point. And meanwhile no. you got nineteen and a half million dollars. Yeah, you're gonna have $19.5 well but you did, they didn't get it. No. They didn't get the nineteen and a half million dollars. But you know, you got Bruce Arians gonna say things like, No risk it, no biscuit and everybody's gonna go like oh, <laughs> I love Curtis, his hat. I love his, his hat. hat. He's great, he's great, and we've got good players. Woohoo. You know, that's I mean they 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 do. There's not going to be a whole lot of egg left on the face. Oh, what we did that? home. Oh, we didn't you even got, realize. But you gotta,
0: you gotta. I don't know. You gotta almost appreciate the ballsiness. Exactly. I was going right? to say audacity, but you, you're right. Just how ballsy is it to have to imagine that that literally people sit around a, a, like a conference table, and go, "All right, here, here's here's this loophole I discovered. Right.
1: Let's let's see if we can. Let's get...
0: see if we can't get like a free nineteen and a half million dollars and really screw it to somebody else. And, and just by, by trying to do some creative uh, bookkeeping.
1: It reminds me of that I episode. I mean, that is balls. Right. That It's like that episode of South Park when it was it Randy that was walking around with the, his balls in the, uh, uh, the wheelbarrow because his nuts were so huge. That's how they walked into work <laughs> at Tampa Bay. <laughs> just these giant nuts hanging in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> like, these are big balls, guys. Nineteen and a half million dollar balls over here.
0: Well, Antonio Brown has big balls, as uh, he's proven over the last couple of years. But uh, apparently, John Gruden likes Antonio Brown's big balls. Says that uh, AB's energy is quote contagious. There's a lot of things that I think Antonio Brown is probably uh, guilty of being uh, spreading contagiousness. Uh, I don't know if energy is one of them.
1: Negative energy, selfish energy. There's that. That. That's. Obviously, that's been part of it in his Pittsburgh career. And, you know, I mean, I'll give a lot of credit to Ben Rothsberger for the rec- you know, recognizing like his part in that and apologizing. And, and he seems, you know, fairly sincere. Whether he is or not, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it seems as though. Um, but you talk to anybody who's been around AB, and they'll tell you there's nobody who's going to work harder than AB in practice. Like he is, gonna, he's full go, you know. So that part I can totally see John Gruden, you know, being completely honest. Yeah, he's it's contagious the way he's practiced, the way he's you know played to this point through OTAs and stuff. That energy and the way he he does things is is contagious until you know he has the game where he doesn't get enough targets, and and the opposite will be true too. That that'll be contagious, you know. It'll be vitriol, but it, you know that that part is is part of his game as well. So you know what you're getting into, but you know, classic John Gruden. I mean, he's just going to love on the guy, right? Here's the guy that sent uh you know, sent Keyshawn Johnson packing too, right? So I think you got to look at at both sides of that equation and this is part of pumping the tires of AB and making sure that uh that you know, he feels quote-unquote loved. But uh, there's nothing wrong with his work ethic or his football skills. The guy is phenomenal. But is are you setting up a scenario
0: with Oakland and AB kind of like was it was it Jimmy Johnson that that you know came out and said yeah, if, you know, if Emmett Smith falls asleep in a
1: right, wedding
0: yeah, yeah. A, in a meeting, you know, somebody needs to nudge him awake. If you're right. the 53rd guy, you get cut. Yeah. I mean, is that what you're setting up here? Is that there's going to be a set of rules for AB and a set of rules for everybody else? Well, you you hope because that, you're trying to make sure yeah. you keep You You hope that through through
1: praising him and through, you know, pumping his tires and stuff, you don't have any of the issues that you had in Pittsburgh. I I know one thing, Derek Carr isn't going to splay him out. He's not going to talk about him on a radio show like Derek Carr is the consummate professional, Um, great young man, great, you know, really good player. But he's not going to have... You know, the Ben Roethlisberger, he didn't run the right route. And, you know, I'll admit it, it's that guy's fault. Remember that the end zone interception, and I me mean, blamed Antonio Brown for running a bad route. That that thing was going to get picked off regardless. I mean, um, was it Shelby Harris that dropped into the end zone there and picked that ball off? I mean, you don't expect it to happen that way, but it's the way it happened. But it, it had nothing to do with the route Antonio Brown runs. So what you're ran. saying is everyone's going to be
0: walking around on eggshells kissing Antonio Brown's ass
1: just to keep him engaged. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's, yeah, I think there's, well, I mean, I think there's early, there's going to be somewhat of a, uh, you know, a pucker factor, but (laughs) I, I've been around John Gruden enough to know that he's going to coach guys hard. He'll coach a B hard and, and, um, you know, it's just the way he coaches. But right now, you know, right now they're in the, um, honeymoon phase, Right. right? Eventually it'll be pick up your damn socks, Antonio. It's not my job to pick up your socks, right? Eventually, that's how the marriage goes. Oh, to be there when that starts to go south. Because, I mean, are you predicting it? That at some point, Gruden and and Antonio Brown will clash? clash, And it'll be glorious to watch? Yeah, at some point. Yeah, at some point, that's got to happen. Doesn't that have to happen at some point? I mean, it is Antonio Brown, right? Hey, how long did Mike Tomlin put up with? long time. long time. Much to the detriment of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think that John Gruden has the same level of patience. So that day could become – but, again, Antonio Brown got paid. He's, you know, he's the highest-paid receiver in football, I believe, or he's, you know, one of the top two or three. Um, he got paid. That's what he wanted. He he got in a place, you know, where – again, I think Antonio Brown will be fine as long as he gets his targets. You know, I don't think he cares about winning. I think he cares about targets and, you know, and being productive. You know, last week
0: you and I were talking about, and we're, we're doing it jokingly about the Hall of Fame five, the five quarterbacks that were yeah. taken in the draft first round last year and how three of them are now in the AFC East. Uh, you got Josh Rosen, you got Josh Allen, you got mm-hmm. Sam Darnold. And you and I both agree that Sam Darnold probably has the best upside of those three. And do you, do you sort of now add to that with Adam Gase coming out and saying, "Yeah, we I've had Sam Darnold, and Sam Darnold's openly been looking at every Peyton Manning cut up that he can look at right. to try to learn because Gase and Peyton Manning work together, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: so and even Gase saying that uh, the the time will come eventually when he hopes to get Darnold and Peyton together, right to to you know hash all this stuff out.
1: Yeah, well, Adam Gase and and Peyton Manning are buddies, you know, and and Peyton went to. Um, Miami's training camp, you know, last year or whatever. So they've maintained that connection. So um, I would imagine that, you know, I would imagine that that will happen, that they will get they'll get together. But I think it's always a good thing when you're trying to learn from one of the best that's ever done it. You're trying to look at, you know, the way um, he operates at the line of scrimmage, what he sees, like the way he can diagnose a defense just based on, leverage of players you know where they line up understanding you know kind of where safety rotations coming from what guys are doing like there was nobody that was better than that than than Peyton Manning about about getting you you know about the pre-snap read so I think all that stuff all that stuff is tremendous um it's always good to be able to do it but it's different than you know watching it on film and seeing what he sees is like oh okay I see what he's looking at it's just different when you're on the field you know you don't have that same you don't have that same vision you're not watching it through a camera you know it's it's different it's field level it's it's so much more difficult to do you know from that perspective it's so much harder when you step on the field to be able to understand that stuff because your your vision is cloud that's why a lot of the coordinators are up in the box you know, they're not calling plays for the sideline, but a lot of the coordinators are calling stuff from up in the box because you get a better view of what, you know, what the defense or what the offense is trying to do. And, you know, and, and so yeah, I think it's a great thing for Sam Darnold. Um, but, again, you know, it's it's one of those things that experience is the best teacher. So you've you got to go through those things. You know, you've got to experience them on the field. Is that why, I, you know, I'm always trying to kind of –
0: rationalize this why do highly touted highly drafted quarterbacks fail you know is there is there one sort of common thread right common denominator as to why it just doesn't work out and is it is it maybe just as simple as that that no matter how many coaches and people up in the sky can say here's what you're looking for Right. This is what you're looking for. How did you not see that? Right. Is it as simple as that they just for whatever reason the quarterback just can't see that?
1: I think there I think that's part of it. I always think that the ultimately what what the difference between you know good and great and great and you know all-time is your ability to process information and make a decision in you know in a split second in a nanosecond and, and it being the right decision. You know, it being the, you know, just the, the right, you were right in your diagnosis, you were right in your decision, you were right, um, you know, making the throw or whatever and it was, you know, it was on point and accurate. You know, I, I think all that comes with your ability to process information and make those quick decisions. And I think that's just endemic of great players in general Even if they're not the most gifted athletes, they just make really good on-field decisions um, because their eyes see whatever it's whatever their eyes see, and it processes like instantly, and they just react. You know, I was,
0: you know, with the passing of Bart Starr over the weekend, I was kind of going back and reading about his career, and and you know, you know what jumped out at me, Mark, was this is somebody who was playing in the '60s. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of the modern passing game hadn't even really, right. you know been, been materialized at all. And yet here's a guy who, over the course of his career, threw for over 25,000 yards and over hundred was it, 150 touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. And you think about, you try to kind of sort of extrapolate what, you know he would have been able to do today with those kind of modern passing and the rules. I mean, think about it. Back then, you know, throwing the football was last ditch. You know, it was all about run, 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 run. And if you had to pass, it was when everybody knew you were going to pass. You could absolutely mug and destroy receivers. You could absolutely destroy quarterbacks. And yet this guy still put up, you know, some really impressive passing numbers for the era that he played in.
1: He really did. Um, Yeah, and and one of the all-time, obviously one of the all-time greats. Would he win five championships with two Super Bowls, Super Bowl one and two, um, with five total championships? But um, I just uh, I I got the opportunity to meet Bart Starr on a couple different occasions. But one at the, we always do a uh, prayer breakfast at the uh, you know at Super Bowl week, and um, I got to meet him there, and he just is one of the most gracious people. You talk to anybody, or you see any of these. People kind of uh, honor him on on social media, you know, kind of eulogize him, if you will, on social media. And everybody says the same thing: he's forget about how great a football player he was. He's one of the greatest humans that's ever walked a, you know, walked the face of this planet. So really cool to hear that, um, and it really makes you think about what you know, like he was able to accomplish back in the day. Johnny Unitas, uh, like Otto Graham, and all those guys. When, like you said, throwing the ball like was like last ditch effort type of scenario. I I tell you the other thing that's really cool about a lot of those quarterbacks back in Johnny Hughes day and all that. And Bart Starr's day was those guys were true field generals. I mean, they're calling their plays, right? So they're putting game plans in, um, based upon their opponents and everything else. But then they're, they're the ones calling the plays. Um, and think about how it's different now, like from a social media standpoint and, um, and building a brand standpoint, like if you gave your quarterback an opportunity to throw it all the time, like how many guys are gonna go? Oh, you know, this is the perfect run look. Well, but I think I can fit it in there. You know, like let me build my brand some more. I, I don't know. I just think it's really cool. And and like I said, Bart Starr was um was like I, I got an opportunity to meet him. Was incredibly so. Are you okay with putting?
0: So whenever the debate about greatest quarterbacks of all time come up, are you okay with including the Bart Stars and the Johnny Unitas' in there? yeah, yeah. I mean, to the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to go with um, uh, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Johnny Unitas, John Elway, Brett Favre. I mean, at some point, don't you have to acknowledge that the the quarterback position and the way that the quarterback position – is played and has been played, did did change to the point where c- can you include the guys that played when throwing the football was yeah so minimized?
1: I well no I think the I think obviously it's a different era and it's hard to compare the errors. But I think when you start when you start talking about second best quarterback to ever play the game, like you can put him in that conversation. It's Brady, and then it's everybody else. Is <laughs> right, is was, right. Like, what are the? Are you this?
0: willing to put Bart Starr and Johnny Unitas ahead of Tom Brady?
1: No, I'm saying Brady, and then you go. Okay, now the second best quarterback that's ever played the right. game. Let then the you lump rage. in. Right, let, let it go. You put in <laughs> Unitas, and you put in Bart Starr, uh-huh. and Otto Graham, uh-huh. Joe Montana, and, right, right. You know, and, and all the other, all the other you also runs, <laughs> also. Um, but you know, that's Brady. And then it's like, okay, now who's the second best quarterback that's ever played the game?
0: I see. I see. Right. Boy, it says something. And, and what we're doing this, we're, we're doing this podcast right now. Literally it's a hundred days to go until the start of the NFL season. Right. So it's it kicks the, off
1: on a Thursday night, and right? It's going
0: to be the bears and the Packers right. celebrating a hundred years of, of football. Boy, what does it say about the Packers history that, Aaron Rodgers is the third best quarterback in the history of that franchise.
1: Gosh. Amazing, right? Right? I mean, am but I right? But they went through some years where, you know, the Lynn Dickey years and some of the other, right. you know, some of the, the Magic, Magic Man. Man, yeah.
0: But how about I me, mean, right?
1: It's. It, I mean,
0: you, you talk to Packer fans, and it'll be, I mean, most of them, will, I would assume, would go far star or star far, right? Right. And then Aaron Rodgers. Mm. That's that's pretty good, that's a pretty good it, franchise. When...
1: yeah, really, I and mean, when you think about the longevity, of each of those guys, because Star played for what 15, 16 years, and and Brett Favre for the same, you know, fifteen years or whatever it was. Um, the last couple of years, you know, with the Jets and then Minnesota, but um, he had to have fifteen years as a as a Packer, I would imagine. And then you got how many years has Aaron Rodgers been playing? Is he just finished his twelfth year or something? It's just amazing. Well, after watching that weak attempt to chug a beer last week, that's why I'm going to drop him behind Lynn Dickey. That was that was like that was bad. I'm telling you what, I was to, I'd have a bubba in his locker. I was just nursing that beer. <laughs> You'd put a, like, you put a. You si- Aaron Rodgers. Does, have see, the, you would. You'd put a sippy cup in his locker, would. wouldn't does you? Does he have the smallest <laughs> throat in the National
0: Football League? That's your idea of humor. You would you would show if you were a Packer, you'd show up. You put like a, a sippy
1: cup or a, that's a right. I take one of my one of my granddaughter's sippy cups, you know, maybe a Peppa Pig, and he'd have a little Peppa Pig sippy cup in his locker. Not Who's a, Peppa Pig? Peppa Pig. Yeah. Come on, you don't know who Peppa, Pig, Peppa Pig is. Peppa Pig. Peppa. Peppa.
0: Pig. Yeah. She's Who's a Peppa Pig? Pig? From where? From who? Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig. No, my kids are 16 and 12 now. Now, if we're talking about, you know, if we're talking about the Backyardigans or something like that, or the, oh you know.
1: Talking about the Wiggles? The Wiggles. <laughs> Did that, you watch the now, Wiggles? Now I'm on. Yeah. Yes, now I'm on you. I'm yeah, pep, on you. So I have a Peppa Pig uh, sippy yeah, cup or yeah. something of that nature. Now, if it's
0: nature. a Wiggles p- sippy cup, then I'm with you. I, I, get, I get where you're going. Hey, while we're talking about, um, you know, Bart Starr's passing um, – the, the sports world, the baseball world lost Bill Buckner. And I I, I look at Bill Buckner as somebody that, that I want to pay tribute to because I thought the way that for decades after the ball went through his legs, the way that he sort of embraced it, had fun with it, didn't run from it, capitalized on it, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought showed a, lot, showed a lot of grace and humility. So I think that when people bring up – that infamous moment you know people are like oh you know don't speak ill of you know right. Bill Buckner." i i'm not i don't look at it that way i look at it as I'm, I'm paying tribute to a guy who handled a moment that a lot of people would it would have absolutely crushed them he ended up handling it with a lot of uh, humor and grace so um mm-hmm. uh, can, can you think of some uh moments bill buckner type moments when it comes to uh football Oh yeah! What what jumps out at you? Like maybe uh, maybe I can help jog your memory a little bit. Okay. Maybe uh, maybe some of these ring a bell. Meanwhile, here's Gramatica. Romo holds, 19-yard field goal attempt. Oh, it is fumbled by Romo, and then Romo's going to run to the end zone, and he's going to get tackled by Jordan Babineau!
1: Amazing. This one will be from 43 yards out. It's got the accuracy, it's got the distance. Martin Gravatica, 15 for 19 this season. And he hurt himself leaping up and down. Oh, he, he just strained his knee, he hyperextended
0: his knee. Harmon will probably try to squib it, and he does. Paul comes loose, and the Bears have to get out of bounds. Rodgers along the sideline, another one. They're still in deep trouble at midfield, they tried to do a couple of, the ball is still loose, as they get it to Rogers. they give it back now to the 30, they're down to the 20, All the band is out on the field, he's going to go into the end zone,
1: he's going to be into
0: the end the Bears have won, the Bears have won, oh my god, the most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, Exciting thrilling finish in the history of college football. Draw to Biner. Ernest Biner. Bumble. Bumble the ball, and Denver has recovered. Oh my. Or have they? Let's wait for the official. Dunpilum. There's a war going on under that stack. There it is. Denver's
1: ball at the two-yard line. Biner had the first and goal. And lost the ball. I I t- I t- you know, I love that old sound, by the way, because it brings you back kind of where you were at that particular point in your life. Like you can remember some of those things. But the Ernest Biner, the fumble by Ernest Biner. So because of my history with Ernest, um, obviously, like Ernest is one of the greatest players I've ever played with. Like c- you want to talk about a complete football player. Um, whether it was blitz pickup or run on the football or catching on the backfield. There's nothing that Ernest Biner couldn't do. He was a great player. And that play in Cleveland, he was so, like, his name was besmirched in Cleveland to the point where they made a trade, I believe it was a straight-across trade with the Washington Redskins for a player who was nothing more than a guy who was, he was a track guy. He, He could run fast. And he was essentially a returner for the Skins who really couldn't play. And they traded straight across. You probably won't even remember the name. I believe it was the, the straight across trade was for Mike Oliphant.
0: Nope, doesn't ring a bell.
1: For Ernest Biner. And, you know, Ernest Biner went on to play great for the Skins. He was a great player for the Skins and, you know, was a guy that I won a Super Bowl with, Super Bowl twenty six with the Skins. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal football player. You put one ball on the ground. And I understand it's a critical moment. And you're going in for a touchdown, and I and I get all that stuff. But um, I'm glad, I'm glad the Cleveland Browns decided to be Clevelandy and uh, get rid of him because he was a huge part of us winning a world championship you know, in, in Washington. It,
0: but also, doesn't it speak to what makes sports the ultimate reality TV show? Mark is that we love to celebrate these historic moments, clutch moments. But for every hero, there is that. Villain or somebody who has to play the role of of chump, you know, loser, mm-hmm. choker, whatever. And it's it, it's almost like we are drawn to those figures right. in sports, maybe
1: even more so than the so-called heroes. Right. Yeah. I You know, which I think it's really I think it's cool, but I think it's really interesting is that. Like one of the reasons I love to compete, Mike, is I wanna know. You know, there's a there's a line by the song I'm a, you know, I'm an eighties guy, right? Alternative eighties stuff. There's a line in a song by the psychedelic furs that says you can't you can never win or lose if you don't run the race. Is Wasn't is,
0: that Howard Jones?
1: No, that's not Howard Jones. That's <laughs> not yeah. So you can never win or lose if you don't run the race. I, I love I love to know at the end of the day the work I put in and and all the stuff I did am I good enough to compete like there's so many people that are so afraid of of getting beat or losing or whatever that they basically check out of life oh I don't want to you know I don't want to what if I what if I don't succeed or what if I have failure and man I like at the end of the day man I want to compete and I want to know where I stand am I great or you know am i not at least i know so i love that i love you know i love as you as your skill set diminishes as you get older and you get more beat up from a you know a professional football or professional baseball whatever standpoint can you still go out and compete every night Damn the consequences. Okay, so my so my ERA is not what it used to be or my batting average. Like, I look at that as a sense of a kind of a badge of honor. Can you still go out and compete at a high level even though, you know, you've aged? Have you learned the tricks of the trade? I, I just, and I love the competition effect of that. And, and Bill Buckner is kind of, for me, is one of those guys that says, hey, man, you know what? I'll show up. He, he, by the way, that was game six. They still had game seven. You know, they still could have won it you're talking to a uh, Red Sox fan who came out of the womb a Red
0: Sox fan believe me mm-hmm. true story they lose game six and I've seen this act before I know what's happening right I know that so I'm a freshman at Syracuse okay uh-huh. so I had driven back to Boston because it was a I was tired of dealing with all the Mets fans on campus right uh-huh. so I drive back to Boston to be with my buddies you know Bernsey wingy ski. Mole, Budley, all those guys, mm-hmm. and I'm uh, there, figuring that I'm going to see the World Series be won with my buddies. We're going to finally break the curse. They lose that game. I slink back to Syracuse. Game seven, the Red Sox actually have a lead, like three nothing, midway through the game. Right. I'm like, nope. I know I've already seen this act before. It's the baseball gods have already spoken. They will not win this game. There's no way they win game seven
1: after what happened in game six. And sure enough, they coughed up the lead. Mets go on to win the World Series. So even back then, you were still, that was the start of your jinxy cat ways. Yeah,
0: I was very fatalistic back then. Very fatalistic. Incredibly fatalistic.
1: It's amazing that we won back to back championships here in Denver for the Broncos, 97 98. Those are your first two years?
0: No, I got here for your second year. You had already won one. So I got here for the repeat
1: year. Okay, so and you, at that point, you...
0: No matter... It was
1: a juggernaut, you yeah, could... Yeah, there's no you, way I could bring that down. No. There's no way. I'm sure you tried. I, I actually did.
0: <laughs> you know, I was, well, I was new to town. You so trying was trying to come I in with a in, bang? You know, I'm just like, Broncos aren't all that. Full of piss you know, and vinegar. I'm just being like, they're not that great. I'm not going to swoon at the sight of the Broncos like everybody else in this town. Right.
1: You were just a bitter Patriot fan. This is before, you know, the Patriots actually won something, you know? All so, I had,
0: you know. I'd grown up with just bad football. You know, I was just miserable. Were you
1: in New England when we went out there in like 97 or 96 and Shannon Sharp got on the – in, you know, like on the phone and called the national guard. Was that
0: the year? Was it or was it earlier than that? It was I like ninety
1: six or it was probably ninety six, maybe.
0: I think I was still we, there. I left shortly after that. Went down to Dallas for. A we couple are years,
1: killing. But, call the yeah. president. We are killing Calling the, the national guard because yeah.
0: we are killing the Patriots.
1: Right. Yeah, they were bad. So you came to town and you just wanted just to like. I'm just like. Thunder punch the Broncos into submission.
0: Like, it was gonna be. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't matter. It could have been anywhere. I was just gonna be like, I'm not gonna kneel down for these guys. That's
1: right. Ninety six. Ninety
0: six. Yeah, I was still in. I was still in Boston at that time.
1: I'd like to hear some of your first, some of your first Denver broadcast oh. with a little Boston accent.
0: Well, I'd been in Texas for a couple of years, cool, so maybe
1: a little bit of a twang. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. Maybe I. Maybe I worked in a, a reckon or a fixin. <laughs> I reckon. I reckon. I fix, We're fixing to find out. They're
1: fixing to go through a tough streak here. <laughs> but all then right. you guys were just so damn good that by about, I think it was about week.
0: Right? Didn't you start off that year thirteen like and thirteen? 0. Oh, yeah, I think by the time it got to be about nine and all, I was like, yeah, these guys. I think it was after that uh, beatdown you put on the Cowboys, where I think you scored all five possessions you had in the first half, and you led like thirty-five to three.
1: I the first seven possessions were touchdowns.
0: Something like that, yeah. It was something crazy. And I was just like, "Yeah, these guys are pretty good. I got nothing negative to, to
1: say." It's a wise choice, Mike yeah. Evans. At that oh, point, wise. I was wise.
0: At that point, I was on the bandwagon. Yeah, going into locker rooms, trying to get Woo! Mark Schlereth, trying to get Mark Schlereth to talk
1: on the record. That's right. It never happened. Now we can't shut you up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Man, oh man, Mister Schlereth, your shoulders look tight. Why don't I rub them while you're talking this mic? Huh? Who's this Boston kid? Get out of here. Quit touching me. I've got some oil of Olay. Oil of Olay? Oil of Olay. You look a little ashy. <laughs> Let me rub lotion on your feet. Huh? Get out of here, kid. That's exactly how it went. <laughs> That's exactly how it went down. <laughs> hey, for everybody involved with the Sticky Truth <laughs> podcast, uh, we just thank you so much for listening. And i uh, like to thank our uh, presenting sponsor, the fine folks over at Core Water. Hydrate with CORE.com for more information until later on in the week. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you then.